Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host Manu Veth and we got lots of interesting topics to discuss this week. I'm going to start with the Russian Premier League. Some interesting changes made during the international break. We're going to discuss them all but let's break down the results first shall we. Ahmad Krosny lost 2-0 to CSKA Moscow. Loco against Ural. <laughs> I know one man was going to be happy about this. 2-1 for Ural. Dinamo against Krasnoyarsk, 2-1 for Krasnoyarsk, hmm, three important points in the relegation battle. Orenburg Ufa, 1-0, Angie Rubin, 1-1. We have some things to talk about when it comes to Angie this week as well. Oh, this will put a smile on someone's face. Spartak 3, Krylia Sovetov 1, whew. Good Ooh. start for Kondonov, yeah, you already heard it in the background there, haven't you? Krasnodar, Tula 3-0. Zenit Rostov 2-0. That's the two teams fighting for the title. Yeah, you already heard him in the background. Ah, the whoo. That was that a whoo of relief. Tim Bokterchev. Tim, how are you doing? Good morning, Mano. I'm good, doing good. Like you said, Spartak have a new coach and we won our first game. So I'll be happy to talk about that. Yeah, I, I, I can, can sense the... <laughs> with optimism coming through through the mic here, it, it sounds good. You're sounding a lot better. You know, you, you, I was worried there a little bit about. Well, you. I'm I'm still bitter about Massimo Carrera, and I think I will be bitter for a long time. But at this point, there's nothing, not that much that we can do. Alek Konov is a new coach, and I kind of have to be a little bit more energetic than I was in the past few weeks. Yeah, it's you know, it was just fiddled up. That's just what happens, right? So um, exactly. Uh, that's just that's just the reality of life. And also someone else was going to be happy. Um, you know, we mentioned the result up there. Andrew Flint. Andrew, um, I did not hear a who from you when, when I mentioned that result, but I, I'm pretty sure you're pretty ecstatic as well. Well, it's mostly because I'm just used to winning nowadays. Oh, okay, uh, but it's yeah. just half the course for it. Oh, you, catch um, you know, European <laughs> football, I thought maybe we'd need the cup to get it, but we won't need even to win the cup to get into Europe this season. So... Um, oh, yeah, the it's not... hey buddy, hold on your horses. horses. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's working out very well for me now because now you know I kind of win win in the cup. If if we win in the the course final, then Oral are in for the last four, and if we lose, then my good friend Tim over there will be happy, and I can be happy for him knowing that <laughs> we'll get Europe anyway. So you know, it's uh, Life is pretty good this this side of Russia at the moment. Yeah, yeah. What are you talking about, Europe, Andrew? It's only four points to the Champions League. Well, that's what I meant by Europe, of course. Oh, I mean, okay. you, you it doesn't count. I'm talking, I'm talking Champions <laughs> League all the way. You know what? I cannot wait, cannot wait to see Karim Benzema's face when he sees the SKB Bank Arena because the Centralia is closed for the pitch quality and they have to come to the first stadium in Siberia. Oh. Oh, I can dream. I can dream. Let me dream. Um, I, I think we saw an appropriate reaction by Mourinho this weekend uh, of how <laughs> it's going to look like when he has to see the pitch. Um, oh, dear God. Oh, <laughs> I, no, I tell you Okay, okay, okay. I'm on a bit of a roll at the moment. I would demand, if we got into the Champions League, that Manchester United get drawn against that just to see the look on that smug Portuguese man's face. That would just make my day. That would make my day. If Oral could be the team... To finally, finally get that man sacked. Okay, oh. okay. And the question: Who will you be supporting in that game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it depends who's manager. If Mourinho's manager, it's an easy question. Oral every second. Um, but uh, oh, it, it, I, I know it sounds awful. You shouldn't say it as a fan of a club, but it really would matter who was in charge. If um, if the Glazers were still running the club and if Mourinho was still manager, 
every day of the week, I would want Oral to win that game. If not, if, um, if say, for example, Massimo Carrera was my manager, then I would want Manchester United to win. You have a good taste. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you got an exclusive here, listeners. An absolute exclusive. Things are not well at Manchester United. Apparently, the manager is not loved with, uh, with the fans. Um, it's a bit off topic. But, um, yeah, you, you heard it here first. There, there is this real trouble in Manchester, apparently. Um, I just this every is... once in a while see the news and see Mourinho either fingering someone in the crowd, throwing something on the pitch. Um, yesterday it was a bunch of bottles. Huh. But, uh, apparently things are quite broken in Manchester. Who knew? Um, anyways, um, I feel like we kind of need to stick to managers now and things that are broken and, um, <laughs> that kind of gets us to our first topic, and that's uh, Kononov's first game. Now, yeah, I just said it. Um, they won three one. And Tim, uh, let's talk about this result before we talk about things broken, um, because that is basically the best way to start a manager career at a new club, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, actually, Massimo Carrera also started his career with the win over uh, Krylia Sovietov. So, uh, there's kind of uh, interesting similarity. But, uh, obviously, for Oleg Kononov, it was very important to start, uh, start with a victory. Spartak lost five uh, home games in a row. Or four. Four or five. I already lost count. So, many games in a row at home and uh, two teams which they were not supposed to lose. So, it was very important for Oleg Kononov to start uh, at least with three points and uh, a good game would have been a bonus and we saw a little bit of good game but most importantly it was three points Um, with um, his uh, team selection uh, um, Konandov went uh, for very experienced players for example for the first half of the season Alexander Maximenko, a very young goalkeeper, was in goal. Um, today, uh, sorry, not today, on this weekend, uh, Artem Rebrov was, uh, was uh, in, in goal. Uh, obviously, Denis Glashakov is back in the side. Uh, Kambarov, Yeshinka, so all the most experienced players. And he started with, uh, um, you know, with including lots of experienced players. And that's kind of outlines his strategy. He will start, um, he's trying to build the connection between the, the core of the players and uh, himself. And um, he's, he says he will go from there. And uh, this, this will be a start. Uh, the one very disappointing thing which happened that uh, Roman Zobrin, who has been the best player of Spartak for, for the past few months, if not uh, the whole year, he got uh, he got an injury while he was uh, in the national team. He returned uh, to Spartak and he played as well and he injured his meniscus and he's out until the end of the year, uh, like the calendar year, not the season. Luckily, he will be out for another month. So unfortunately, this, the year is done for him. He was the best player and it's it's a very key player for Spartak, so it's a painful injury. So, yeah, that's that's that's, that's one of the results. I mean, it's hard to that, right? Um, Sopnin, of course, he had the, a very severe ACL injury, right? <laughs> so, yeah. um, speaking a little bit out of my own experience, with most of my meniscus gone, thanks to wear and tear and operations, I, that's like pretty common. Um Unfortunately, right? It's a common side effect. I, I know you have a similar issue, right, Tim? Yeah, yeah. I have, I have ACL, meniscus, and MCL on one knee. So, yeah. Um, that's, you know, with Roman, um, that's probably something that he will have to <laughs> live with for the rest of his career. It's too bad, too, because he's such an important player, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he also won the, the award of the Gentleman of the Year, so he's never been included in any scandals. He always been very respectful on the pitch. No, you know, no arguing with the referees, no really any, any dirty play. So he has been having a past couple of years, just an amazing, uh, time playing football. And, uh, he is definitely one of the Russian talents. He also actually gave an interview, Amano, that might be interesting for you. He gave an interview that after the World Cup, there was a serious interest from a German club, and he he called this German club a top German side. So I'm curious who could have been Schalke. Uh, Schalke, I think. Yeah, they wanted him just before they uh, before he heard his ACL, and then the the transfer fell through because of that. So they've been interested in in him ever since. But I think he said that it was after the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, so. they they were already interested in him before the World Cup, and then of course <laughs> the, the interest rekindled. Um, after the World Cup, so um, yeah, yeah that, that would be Schalke. Um, 
Interesting. Uh, it's definitely some, something to keep an eye on because they pretty much had them already all wrapped up and the deal was pretty much already agreed on and um, just before he tore his ACL and then of course uh, you know you're out for six to eight months and no one is going to go for that transfer right so um, mm. unfortunately yeah. that fell through but uh, that yeah he just signed a brand new deal he which made him one of the top paid players in, in the club and his uh, buyout closes uh, 30 million so that's a lot of cash exactly well, um before i let you discuss what we're going to discuss next about spartak i kind of want to get andrew's opinion in on this um because one man who was back in the starting 11 Andrew was Dennis Glushakov. Now, without without saying what's going to come next, what did you make of his performance? Passes, he lost possession. I mean, his role in the side, and especially in light of what you guys just mentioned about Zofnin going off injured, um, then his role is to control the midfield. And Fernando's been off form for some time. I thought he started well when Fernando came to, to Russia. Um, but he's been off form for a bit. Fernando had to be the controlling um, player. Glushkov tried to get forward in a lot of positions, and there were a couple of moments where he just wasn't on the wavelength with the other players, I thought. Um, now, I don't have the emotional connection to the club, of course, like Tim does, so I look at it in a slightly different way, perhaps. And I've always felt, other than his personal, um, well, discretions, shall we say, indiscretions, uh, I think as a player, I think he's a fabulous player, um, technically. But I think his head is just all over the place at the moment. He's obsessing about the wrong kind of priorities. And on the pitch, I think it really, really showed. Um, I, I think he was more of a hindrance than a help. I can understand why Kononov selected him in one sense. And in his first game, he wants experienced players on the pitch. He doesn't want to take any risks, get a first win under the belt. And in theory, Glushkov should have provided that just as a player. But, of course, as we are, as you mentioned, as we're going to get onto, it's off the field that the problems have started. But the fact they're affecting on-pitch performance, that's my main concern. Really. Yeah, Tim, um, let's talk about some of the off-field stuff. Um, um, you sent us a picture yesterday on the WhatsApp chat with all the players wearing a number eight and holding up a banner. Um, there's stories about leaked WhatsApp chats, etc. So um, what's going on there? Well, yeah, the situation around like, Denis Glushikov is not is not very uh, peaceful. Obviously, he uh, has been made uh, kind of like the target of uh, the person who was uh, one of the key person in charge of in charge of um, uh, removing Massimo Carrera as a coach. Who uh, Massimo Carrera is obviously beloved by by the Spartak fans, and uh, yeah, Denis Glushikov didn't really cover himself uh, in glory with the, in 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 the recent. Uh, months uh, in terms of just playing, his his form has not been as great as obviously the 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 champion um, season, and he also been involved in a few stories. For example, currently he's going through a divorce with his wife, and there's some other um, kind of dirty clothing which is uh, not pleasant is uh, coming out. But recently, you're absolutely right, Mano. The um, uh, when Kononov arrived, he said, "I don't want to have any conflicts." Um, Glushakov is the captain of the of the team. He was selected by the players, and he will remain the key player uh, for for the for for the team. And um, but obviously, when Glushakov plays, uh, when, when when Spartak plays at home, he gets uh, booed and he gets whistled on. And obviously, the fans are not happy because they 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 know that. Um, they they think that uh, Glushakov was involved in the firing of uh, Massimo Carrera, that he was against uh, the coach who brought uh, the league title to Spartak after 16 years. Um, so um, obviously the, the the players, like you said, they wanted to, to support the, the the club and and the captain. And they um, yesterday they put uh, after the training they all wore a number eight shirt and had a banner saying that uh, he, Glushakov is one of us. Like uh, and uh, posted this picture on the uh, Spartak social media, and then around the same time, the story was leaked about um, 
a conversation between somebody else and uh, Glushakov's now ex-wife uh, back from 2017 September and pretty much this conversation which is this uh, screenshot from WhatsApp confirms that Glushakov and Ismailov who is the kind of the, the vice president of the club were trying to get uh, Carrera uh, fired and that kind of again confirms from another source and the source now being his ex-wife which he was uh, which which all was good between him and her back then because because it was September 2017 they were still married and everything was uh, still fairly fine so um, she pretty much says uh, on the swap subs that uh, she confirms that uh, she, she spoke to Denise and that he says that yeah they they are not happy with uh, Carrera that Carrera uh, brought uh, for example Petkovic and that he apparently had a cut into this in, in this deal and that uh they're not happy with Carrera they don't trust him and they want him out pretty much and um so that that, that was another just confirmation again we obviously don't know how truthful was that because it's just some screenshot from some WhatsApp group it's uh, it's 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 nothing really um doesn't really show too much but at the same time that's just another one more uh drop into this bucket of uh rumors that uh, Denis Glushakov as the captain of the club was against the coach and again that that didn't really uh, add any benefits or any love um, uh, for Denis Glushakov uh, from the fans. So the conflict is open, pretty much, you know, as soon as he gets the poll playing for Spartak, he gets uh, booed, uh, the fans are singing songs about him, so the, the, the atmosphere is not very healthy, and um, he, he's, been, he's been pretty quiet, and he doesn't really talk and he doesn't do obviously interviews right now but yeah the the info the the situation is 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 not it's not it's not that easy and like i said when alek konnov started the job i said that he's walking into a very very tough situation inside the team inside the club between the fans and the club and between the fans and the team so it is it is it is not healthy situation uh, obviously they're trying to make look that everything is good with all those pictures and with all those interviews they they're trying to uh, to describe uh, that they're they're all together but um obviously it's not, not not everything as well at least between the fans and the team and um yeah i I'm, i'm not sure where it's all going we have a long uh, break coming up so maybe that will kind of come come the things down but at the same time there's some opinions that gloshakov should leave in the winter time because he obviously not being wanted by the fans so uh, the situation is complex uh, emotional and this is the summary for the football god Andrew, um, Dennis Glushakov didn't make the Russia squad for the World Cup. Um, Chechesov is very, very selective when it comes to having anyone in his team that could cause any kind of issues, right? Um, yeah. listening to everything that Tim said, that kind of makes sense. Um, going forward, I mean, is the best news for Glushakov at the moment that in about two weeks time, the club is going away for a three month winter break? hundred uh, percent, absolutely. Um, you talk about you mentioned the international side of things, and for, as far as I'm concerned, he can wave his international career goodbye. I think Chichesov is he's done a very good job so far, not just because of the you know headline grabbing World Cup performances, but the way he's revamped the squad and he's yeah. set down his principles very clearly and stuck to them. Igor Denisov, of course, is the the first major casualty of Chichesov's reign. And I think he'll stick to it. I think he's earned the respects um, of pretty much everybody. So I don't think his job's going anywhere. Therefore, Gushikov at his age, I mean, he'd have to he'd have to have a stunning run of form and show humility beyond anything else, which, as you guys have just discussed so completely, is just not going to happen. So three months out, away from football, I think the best thing Gushikov can do is just go somewhere far, far away, it, just remove himself entirely from any any form of media whatsoever. Um, but given his um, habit, which is not, he's not the only one, of course, but his habit of using social media in some degree, I get a feeling he's not going to resist being in touch with us uh, somehow over the break. But if he could get his head down, um, have a sensible talk with Conan off and say, look, okay, here's my position. I'll explain what's happened. We'll see. Um, I don't see it being resolved fully in his favour as a Spartak player, I could well see him potentially potentially moving to another club. Whether they would be able to afford his wages is very unlikely. Um, yeah, that's that, that's the main issue because he doesn't want to leave because yeah. he has a massive contract 
and um, his role as a captain of Spartak, even even socially and publicly, that's that's a big role for him. So he obviously doesn't want to leave, and not that many people can afford him. Yeah, yeah he, I, think, I think he's thirty-one. That's the other thing, right? I think, I, th- I think, I think, um, I think the fact his obsession, I would call it, with being captain and his role, I think that's a major factor in it. The yeah. way, he, well, like you described him, the, the whole, you know, election of. Um, who would the next captain was going to be and the way he approached all the youth players and everything. I mean, the the lengths he went to to secure his role as captain was just, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't see what the way out is, actually, to be honest with you. Um, Kononov is, ironically, probably the coach or the type of coach most likely to actually play him because he's more of an, I see him as more of an appeaser than a, an authority figure. Um, he'll try and be a peacemaker as much as he can, and I suppose that's Glushkov's route in. But realistically, long term, I just I don't see the future for him at all. Hi, this is Rachel Fisher, and this is Desi Jenikin, and we host the Hollywood Crime Scene podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC Plus, where every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. And with new series, episodes, movies, and fresh content arriving every week, AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Today's sponsor is brought to you by Nature Made, the number one pharmacist-recommended vitamin and supplement brand. Nourish by Nature Made is a personalized vitamin regimen that removes the guesswork of selecting supplements that are specific to you. Backed by 45 years of science, delivered right to your doorstep, and costing on average less than $2 a day. Nourish is your one-stop shop for customizable supplements. Visit Nourish.com to get started today. Yeah, difficult times for um, Dennis Glushakov at Spartak. Something to keep an eye on, definitely over the, the winter break. Maybe just add my 50 rubles, I think. It's <laughs> difficult for for him to find, as a 31-year-old, a different club. As, as you guys said, he's on a big wage, right? So... Um, yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, hmm, difficult. Speaking of difficult situations. Now, um, we discussed this during the international break. Andrew, this was a crazy rumor that floated around. And this is, of course, about Anchi Mahachkala. Okay. Usually crazy and Anchi. That's uh, two words that are usually not very far apart. Um, <laughs> Emir- Emirates. Did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> did you just say Angie and crazy in the same sentence? Never. No, usually I use madness, but um, I thought I'd mix it up a little bit this time. Um, yeah, so there was this rumor that um, they were going to get rescued by the Emirates Airlines, um, that they go Emirates is going to become the next sponsor of Angie. Now, uh, Andrew, um, we've since found out that that's not true, but what's going on at Angie? You know, it's... Um... Sometimes I think it's just reproduce the same article written and just change a few dates and figures, and that's the latest. This one, I think, was concerned me the most, and and I mean concern in the sense that I don't I don't enjoy seeing any club um, be liquidated or go down, go under, unless their name is Amcar. So, Um, but uh, that's just my Oral fan coming out of me there. But um, yeah, the the thing that worried me about this was that they they wanted to train for their last match um, on at the beginning of last week, and they weren't even allowed into their own stadium. Now, not just because they hadn't kept up payments in general, but as, as I understand it, they hadn't paid rent for the last match, so they're clearly paying rent on a match-by-match basis to get into the stadium that they use. I mean, that's how fine the margins are for them. Last season, there was talk that they wouldn't be able to travel to away games. Um, and in fact, I think in one game, I think it may have been to um, Skarhabarovsk. I may have got this wrong, but they could afford to get there, but they weren't sure they could afford to get back. Um, I mean, for this latest news, being locked out of their own stadium because they couldn't get a payment just for the last round of matches, that is really quite worrying stuff. Um, so... The story about Emirates coming in, I 
I mean, I, I don't know exactly how far or even how real those discussions were, but um, quite what Emirates would hope to get out of sponsoring a club in so much turmoil with very little prospect of of getting anywhere near Europe, to be honest with you. I, I really don't know what, what sense there would be in that. Um, but, yeah, that I don't see that happening. I think it's Angie, same as always, really. Yeah, it does sound the same as always, doesn't it, um, Tim? Now... There was rumors that um, Habid, uh, oh my God, I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly. <laughs> Habid Nurmagomedov is going to um, sponsor this club, buy the club. Um, those who don't know who he is, he's a Russian MMA fighter from from Dakistan, right? Um, so these are the kind of things that we're we're sort of talking about when it comes to Anji. Is there anyone really willing to? Um, Take this club on. You know, you need the listeners, like, uh, just for, for listeners to help a little bit understand how that works. In Russia, really sponsoring a football club, it uh, it rarely means um, just you know the pure pure passion for for passion for football. Usually, when you sponsor a certain club, you get an access to certain area or certain business opportunities or a certain city. Uh, so it's never done really on like, oh, I really like this club. I really want to put a whole bunch of money into this organization and help them. No, it's never like this. Even there's even with my club, there's a talk that, that we don't only sponsor Spartak because he could get access to that area where he built the stadium and now he's building a whole bunch of um, uh, real estate property because it's a business project for him. So in order for someone to be really interested in Anji Football Club, there need to be some kind of business offering or business connection um, to get access to the Dagestan region. And to be quite honest, there's not that many uh, lucrative business opportunities in, in Dagestan. Uh, the, the listeners might remember that brilliant time, that golden time when um, Angie was playing in Europe, when they had Roberta Carlos and Etao, and they were uh, one of the top clubs in Russia. But yeah, they had, they had the owner who who pretty much was the owner and invested his money in because he was an oligarch because he had a connection to, to this place. He was from that area and it was his kind of home clown club, uh, his home, hometown club. So, of course, he had some you know, business opportunities, but mostly from what I understand, it was just to help out uh, your local club and he was interested in starting a football project and he went with his his club from his region. It wasn't really something, uh, it wasn't a great opportunity for business. So for somebody coming from outside of Dagestan um, and investing all that money, there's not that really, not, not that many interesting um, opportunities to get some kind of return on that investment in the club from some other areas of, of the business. So to be quite honest, in my opinion, the, the Andre situation is fairly sad, uh, except that time they never been a wealthy club. Uh, that one time when when they had all this oligarch money, but uh, other times they always were a fairly poor club. So I don't think there's any really brilliant. I don't. I'm not sure where this Emirates rumor is coming from because I don't know what Emirates. What's the benefit of them going in in Dagestan? Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering too. Um, I could see uh, Qatar Airlines maybe going there because of the next World Cup, right? And. Um, there's all sorts of political connections that you have to keep in mind, um, religious connections, etc. Um, I, I find it interesting that you mentioned um, Suleiman Karimov, um, the, the oligarch that owned Anshi for some time. His aspiration at the time was quite simple. Buy the club for one, I think he bought it for a symbolic price of one dollar and then um, cleared off all the debts and then started this football project. His goal was to become president of Dakistan. Mm -hmm. Pure, pure and simple. And then that didn't work out and look what happened next, right? So, so yeah, that kind of goes along with what I'm saying. Yeah, it's exactly. not for the love of football, it's just for, for some other yeah. opportunities, political or business. And I mean, it's the same. I mean, um, this, this is on our agenda. I you know we had this request and this is um, typically what we do during the winter, right? Um, there is a podcast special coming for the, on the Caucasus region. Um, because I know one of our listeners um, sent in that request and asked if we could do a special in the Caucasus. So this will be something over the winter break. But this is typical Caucasus dealings um, in many regards. And we've seen it so many times with so many other clubs. I mean, Spartak Nalcik, uh, Alanya Vladikavkas, right? Um, are just mm -hmm. two of the teams that come to mind. 
Um, Ahmad Grosny is a great example as well. Um, and then of course, um, the new club that, uh, Saul Pope loves so much. Um, what are they called again, Andrew? <laughs> oh, I, I forget the Russian word, but tractor Krasnodar, I think it is. Um, Tim, yeah. you're the Russian man. How do you, how do you translate uh, tractor? Something with farm or tractor, isn't it? Tractor is tractor. tractor. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking for the south, uh, a team uh, in a in a resort, but uh, sure, tractor Krasnodar can be it as well. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's something that we'll definitely um, discuss because I mean politics are so important. We'll probably even go a little bit south of the border um, and look into Georgia as well, um, and into Azerbaijan and uh, maybe even Armenia for this podcast. It's, it's definitely shelved. So uh, yeah. Um, for now, it looks like Emirates is not going to bail out Anshi Mahajkala. Very sad, um, but I'm pretty sure someone will bail him out because Dakistan is always the kind of place that, you know, it's just uh, things work one way or another. Um, working one way or another is, um, yeah, I don't even know how I'm going to make the transition to that. So I'm just going to give the floor to Andrew and tell us how great Ural is. <laughs> I'll, I'll do the segue for you. Speaking of um, speaking of Cork's football, the great Georgi Chantoria and um, uh, and of and of course Edgar Manucharian, both from the region, played for the greatest club ever to play in orange and black, which is of course Ural. Now speaking of, um, <laughs> you know, it's a very unusual feeling. Um, Ural have won three games in a row. I'm not entirely sure if that's ever happened before in the league, um, but. Uh, Suddenly, Dmitry Parfionov seems to have got the right balance out of his squad, uh, and he's found another option up front. That's been the key for me. Um, uh, Panyakov, instead of Vladimir Ilyin, offers a bit more pace, so he scored four goals already this season. But the last last few games, we 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 conceded every game this season. That's a stat I found interesting. I think we're the only club in the league actually not to have kept a clean sheet all season, and yet we've won the last three games. Uh, the latest, which away to the Russian champions. Um, I mean, in truth, a lot of the games are not convincing uh, for 90 minutes, but there's a strange kind of resilience to Ural at the moment. It's not it's not a sort of rigid organisation that big teams struggle to get past. Um, that would be Jose Mourinho's wet dream, that, but it's not that. It's not that at all. There's, you know, there are enough creative players that, Oral are always looking to counter-attack. They're never quite 10 men behind the ball. So, you know, you've got the likes of Otman El-Kabir on one wing, um, Nikolai Dimitrov cutting in from the right wing. You've got Eric McFalvey, who is one of the slowest players in the Russian Premier League, but also one of the cleverest. And, you know, when teams are defending against that, they know that if they are not careful, um, they they can be hurt quite badly on the break. Um I mean, guys, did you see Denis Kulikov's um, volley, the first goal? I mean, that was uh, that was some strike. Uh, I've got it's got to be said, um, and it's it's a you know goals come from a few different sources in the team. Big Falvey's the main man, but you know Dimitrov scored free kick against some other Moscow side. I think um, I forget when, uh, <laughs> and Never we've got. <laughs> Never happened, and, never Andrew, happened. you're breaking up. The, the reception is not very good. Can't really hear what you're saying. Well, you know, these problems living in Siberia, you see. You know, yeah, he's just too ecstatic. It's all good. I can hear you well, Andrew. Um, just keep keep mumbling away. I, I Tim, I think you had a question for Andrew. Yeah, yeah, the reception came back suddenly. Uh, Andrew, <laughs> I, I... <laughs> Andrew, I've been following the career of your coach, Dmitry Parfyorov, uh, for a while, mainly because he's the former Spartak player and the captain of the team, so I, I love him. Uh, he started as pretty much on, on the amateur level, uh, then he worked at FNL, then he worked with Tosno, and he created an interesting side with no resources, the side which won the cup, and when he transitioned to Ural, I thought that it was a very good career move for him, because he pretty much started with lower league football, then FNL, then you uh, 
he was with the team who which in a total um, you know relegation kind of team in uh, the Premier League and now he is playing the team which is a solid side in Russian Premier League so his career is definitely going up uh, so I was a little bit surprised not surprised because I wanted him to I want him to succeed so I was a little bit disappointed when Ural in the beginning of the season didn't really have um, a good ga- good game plan didn't have the results and things that were not really going their way could you please just explain for me the person who doesn't watch Ural games every single week what do you think what improvement was made and uh, was it a coaching improvement I know that you had some also injury injury issues so could you please just talk a little bit about that transition from not very successful beginning of uh, Ural season to this uh, massive success when you're actually fighting for Europe um, well, it'll please you, Tim, but my genuine opinion is it is down to Parfion's coaching because, simply put, he's not had a great deal of backing in the transfer market. Marco Aratore came in, Swiss winger, but to be quite honest with you, he's he's failed to impress me. And he came into the side for a few games and it coincided with a lot of our, well, unsuccessful results. Um, Otmanel Kabir came back in. Uh, he set up two goals against Arsenal Tula at home and pretty much kept his place in the side since then. So what Parfion has done is he's kept the same system that Ural have used for almost every game. Um, once or twice he's played two up front, which is very unusual for Ural. It's been Vladimir Ilyin working the front line pretty much every game. Um, but he's not really changed the system that much. Uh, he's just simply changed one or two players. He's rotated the midfield quite a lot. Um, especially centre midfield. We've had injuries to Petrus Bumal, to Roman Yemelyanov, um, to Artyom Fidler, and those are the three main centre midfielders that rotate. Um, you know, Yuri Bavin has come in for a couple of games. Uh, Alexey Yevseyev has been injured for a while as well. It's four central midfields. So Parfionov has rotated sensibly. He's not changed a great deal. He's just simply said, look, this is the style. We're going to keep the same style that you've been playing. Dimitrov on one wing cutting in, a quicker winger on the other. Um, and, he, you know, Oralo, a relatively financially stable club, but they're not wealthy in the transfer market. Um, and hence, they haven't really made many moves. But it's really Parfionov, I put it down to, being consistent, being calm. Um, I wish he would sort the defence out a little bit more. Um, but again, what can he do? He doesn't have a lot of resources. But the change is down to him um, being consistent, sticking to his beliefs and rotating players sensibly. Uh, and he's got us up to this position. Um, Andrew. I'm very happy to hear that. Thank you, Andrew. Um, top, all of the top nine clubs in the league. So more than half of the league. Ural is the only team with a negative goal differential. Minus four. Wow. Yeah, um, that's, uh, that ties in with what I mentioned earlier. Yeah. We've, we've, we've not kept a clean sheet all season. And it's a weird one because yeah. under, um, under Alexander Tarkhanov last season, there was a run we had at home where I don't think we conceded more than, I think it was twice in six or seven games. The defense at home was very strong. Um, and I don't blame Parfiana for this because it, it's really lapses in concentration more than the structural deficiency of the system that is watching us concede all the goals. We did have a couple of games, one against Zenit, where we conceded five, I think it was, and we conceded four in another way game. So that has accounted for quite a lot. But it's the consistency of conceding that's the problem. Um, teams know they can they can score against Oral. Um, problem is for them that, luckily for us, um, we do have the players that can usually score just about one more than them. So... Um, yeah, defense is the problem. Yeah, interesting start there. Um, minus four, 18 to 22 goals in 15 games. Yet they are sixth, one point behind Rostov and yes, just four behind that Champions League spot. Hmm. We'll see. Maybe there's going to be Champions League football with Jose Mourinho <laughs> and Yekaterinburg after all. I'm definitely not going to hold my breath. Um, two teams that can have Champions League football though next season. Um, Zenit and Krasnodar. Uh, Tim, is that the title race now? I think so. I also wouldn't discount uh, CSKA from that race. 
and uh, for obvious reason uh, the club from Moscow which is called Spartak uh, mm-hmm. but uh, but to give you a neutral opinion yeah I, I think Zenit Krasnodar and CSKA are the clubs which uh, somehow should end up in uh, the top three I, I'm, not, I'm not sure in which order um, I, the reason I'm adding CSKA because really I, I am very impressed with the um, the work that uh, Gancherianko and the uh, CSKA management has been doing uh, this season uh, obviously like we talked about it many times that they brought so many young players and it's working for them maybe not so much in Europe but that's okay uh, you know Champions League is a completely different level and for such a young and unexperienced team you know things like what happened yesterday they could happen which is which is fine but i think uh, they have enough quality um, in 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 their uh, in in the russian league to continue that trend uh, krasnodar has been impressive since since day one of the season uh, the new coach musaev uh, who is does also don't have very experience also has been very very impressive um, and obviously zenit so those three clubs has been has been the most consistent and I think somehow, like I said, the title race, or at least the race uh, for the automatic qualification to uh, the Champions League, which is first two places, those three clubs will be involved in. Um, I want to talk about CSKA in just a moment. Um, I think my concern with Sinit, and um, Andrew, you even mentioned it in the Europa League preview. They seem to be running out of out of fume a little bit. Yeah, Um I, I I did mention that because I've I mean I'm not concerned emotionally I'm not, I don't support them but I have been concerned as a neutral with the the sort of a lack of authority about their game that they did have in the early parts of the season. Uh, you mentioned it as well, Manu, last week on the pod I believe about Artem Zuba looking tired. Uh, he needs a rest. And I, yeah, I, he he does. I mean. To be fair to the guy, he's got a huge amount of pressure on his shoulders. Despite the squad being a very, very rich squad in experience and quality, as a striker, as a target man, and especially in light of a certain Mr. Kokorin being unavailable for various reasons, um, there's more pressure on Juba to score. He's only scored five goals this season. Now, I know it sounds not too bad in 15 games, but it's, it's not a great strike rate for the best striker at the most potent attacking outfit in the country um, and I think a lot of criticism comes in for Anton Zabalotny but I've, I've always been slightly uncomfortable with that because I actually do think he's a very good potential option to give Zuba a break and I think they need a bit more competition like that, they need to freshen it up up front um, Deleuze is about the only consistent performer in recent weeks um, as, as a forward for them um, scored well at the weekend. So I think for for Zanit, they need to get to the winter break without any more drop points, really, because then then they can just take time to relax, recharge their batteries. If they drop more points now, then there's, they start the spring season under a bit of pressure already, and that could be quite tricky for them. Yeah. Uh, I guess the, 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 the same can be kind of said for Krasnodado, right, Tim? I mean, two games till the winter break. Is that really where everyone wants to get at the moment right now? Just get to the winter break and then use those three months to recharge? Absolutely, that's the key. Um, I, especially like I just follow up on what, uh, Andrew said, Zenit. In my opinion, Zenit will win the league if they will kind of, Go on the winter break, then the, the, this five six point uh, gap between them and uh, Krasnodar, and Zenit has only two games left, like like all the clubs, and they have games against Arsenal, uh, Tula, and Rubin. And I think if if Zenit wins those two games, they will be eighty percent champions because um, usually, you know, six points after the break should be enough for them with their with their capacity. Same goes for Krasnodar. I think, you know, for Krasnodar, uh, we still need to remember that they're a young club and uh, they haven't played in Champions League yet as much as they play in, Euro- in Europa League. So for them, I think they will be very, very satisfied with the second place. So for them, I don't think they, of course, they, if, if they can win the league, they will take the league. But I think if, if they will keep that pace of, um, you know, chasing Zenit and eventually ended up being second and going to the, um, to the Champions League straight, I think they will take it, and um, yeah, be- before the end of the season, they have games against Oral, Rostov, and Dufa. Again, 
uh, you know, it's those games are winnable. And again, I think if they continue that uh, chasing Zenith, um, that will be helpful. So I think it it will be just pretty much between them and CSKA. Uh, if 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 that if that gap between Zenit and those clubs will uh, will be in place. So, But like I said, for Krasnodar, it will be a massive success if they will qualify to, to Champions League. That will be for them like winning the title. Yeah, that's been a, a long goal for them, right? Um, they've, yeah. they've fallen short of that a few times and um, they really look like they are in a good position to, to get there this time um, around. Um, getting around can be difficult when you have to go all the way to Krasnoyarsk. It's a, a remote location for most Russian clubs to begin with. <laughs> um, I don't know how the league calendar threw this one up, guys. Um, but Ahmad Krosny have to go there. Um, basically two, two weeks before the winter break. Um, I've heard weather reports that claim it could be minus 26 degrees there when they kick off. Now, um, I threw out a little bit of a cheeky tweet saying I've played in this kind of weather. Um, I've played hockey and soccer outside in minus, minus, below minus 20 degrees. It's, it, of course, it's not fun. Um, I, I'm just going to add that right there. It's doable, but it's not fun. Um, there is a possibility to move this game inside, Tim. Why, why is it that, um, that's been vetoed? Yeah. 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 Like it's, I, I still, I still, I don't still it's not certain, uh, if the, the T, where the game will happen because really the, the the weather um, is supposed to be somewhere around, like you said, minus 20. Um, I think the coldest it was ever played in Russia was around that minus 20, but it's definitely, like you're right, it's definitely not the the, the pleasant con- uh, conditions to play. Um, the, 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 the sporting director of uh, Unisei, uh, Denis Petrovsky, he said that potentially they can move that game somewhere on a reserved game if it's really going to be that cold. Um, so I assume sometime in the spring, potentially this will game go ahead. But uh, again, like it's it's nothing really settled because um, we obviously don't know what the weather condition will be. But I'm as a person who exactly from that region, Krasnoyarsk is very very close to my city, and having minus 17 in December, <laughs> that's that's absolutely normal. So I'm not sure what <laughs> how how that came as a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Have you played so, that kind of weather before? Now? <laughs> yeah, by my first breath of Russian air was minus 29 degrees as I stepped out of the plane in, in Tumen. It froze my eyelashes together with my very first breath. And I thought, you know what, since, this is, is going to be interesting. love, right? Ah, <laughs> oh, see, it was love at first. Well, not sight, actually, because I couldn't <laughs> see. I actually, generally, I'm not exaggerating. I, it froze my eyelids together. I, that was how cold it was. Um, but, no, Tim, you, the, the, the thing you mentioned about it not being a surprise, this is... Yet again, another story of Russian football authorities just simply not using their heads. Guys, you've had decades and decades of football in this country. Forget the football in this country. You've had centuries of this country existing, knowing that in Russia, in winter, it's cold. I mean, it's it's like you're talking to a, a five-year-old when you explain this to them. Um, the, what I actually heard was that it is definitely going to be played outside because the club are offering all tickets for free. Um, I think they'll be lucky still to get anybody through the doors in minus 20 to watch. Um, but um, it's it's just such a lack of planning. The, my, my club, Oral, their games were weighted towards more home games at the beginning of the season and they're finishing this period running up to the winter break with the last three or four games all the way from home. Uh, we're playing in a warmer city in Krasadar at the weekend, for example. It's fairly basic. It's fairly logical stuff. Um, Krasnoyarsk is in Siberia. I mean, do I need to say any more? It's so easily avoided. Now, okay, that's one, that's one rant. My second rant is this. Even though they mucked up the basic planning of when the fixtures are, is it really, like you said, that difficult to just play it indoors like it was originally planned? The, as my understanding is it's the Russian Premier League that have overruled the Russian Football Union by saying, no, it must be played inside, uh, it must be played outside, sorry, if the pitch is available, because those are the basic rules. Well, look, the, the fact is there are a lot of artificial pitches in this league, um, and it's not that uncommon to play. Amkar Stadium, for example, was, was an artificial pitch, and nobody complained about the surface. So if the surface isn't the problem, 
I can't see why Akmak Grozny themselves, and I'm not saying they are complaining, but you would imagine the RPL are saying you've got to play outdoors to protect the integrity of the league. It's like, well, the both the two teams playing, they they have played on artificial pitches before. The indoor pitch will be much more comfortable. And there's also the element of the fans, you know, is slightly safer and more comfortable uh-huh. to be inside the baggage. So the options there, it's staring you right in the face and you could have planned it better. And they still go for the idiotic option. I just, I, guys, we should be used to this. We should be used to this nonsensical decision making. But even still, I still can't accept it. I just, oh, I don't know. Guys, take over. You have a right. But that, <laughs> Uh, I think they should just uh, play outside. I've played in the cold. Come on. <laughs> What's the coldest you ever played in, Tim? Um, oh, that's a good question. Over 28. Was a, we, we had um, a winter tournament. It was over 20. I remember that. Uh, yeah, it was not very good. No. No. I, I never said it was, it was going to be nice playing in that weather. I'm just saying it's doable. <laughs> one little thing I don't know if any of our listeners noticed that about what Tim just said this is something that really amuses me but Tim said over 20 the natural instinct of a Siberian is to not say minus because yeah. you just assume it's minus anyway you know in other words <laughs> yeah. it's very very normal just what's it my, my, my wife said today for example you know I think it's going to be 10 degrees tomorrow like 10 degrees sounds quite pleasant and <laughs> we're not talking that thing. No, no, everyone just knows that the minus is a given. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's Siberia for you. We're, we're tough people, aren't we, Tim? <laughs> yes, we are. That's why, uh, that's why Tim moved uh, to Vancouver where we had 15 degrees yesterday. Uh, plus. <laughs> I had to yeah, add the plus. Turncoat, come on, come back to where you were real tough. <laughs> I'm actually coming back for Christmas, so I'll report to you. That's expected to be around 30, so I'll... <laughs> I'll I'll host a pop, uh, frozen product pop, pop, uh, football grad. Oh my word! Um, I just want to the football for a minute, Tim. Tim, you're coming all the way from Canada back to the country where I live. I've not met you, having been on this pod with you for years, and at exactly the same time, I'm leaving the country to go to England. <laughs> oh, Tim, we've got to plan better than this, man. Come on, <laughs> look yeah. after the place. There will be a a, a football grad podcast meetup at some point, I'm sure. Uh, boys, we still have a couple topics to discuss. Um, first of all, Andrew, um, we both watched CSKA yesterday in the Champions League. Um, it was snowing in the Lushniki, you know, nice and Christmassy and all that. I personally thought CSKA played very well. I thought it was a very good game that they played. And um, I thought I, except for scoring the goals, it was actually exactly the kind of performance that they needed to get the three points because they needed the three points to, to stay in Champions League contention. Uh, Victoria Pills and the team that they need, did face needed the three points to um, have a shot at the Europa League, right? Um, finish third. Unfortunately, it was Pilsen that got got the three points. Um, I personally I personally have this down. I, I wrote down in the match report I did for footballgrad.com. Um, at one point, there was eight players on that CSKA side that were 23 or under. Is this a, was this a matter of experience? Do you think that's, that's what it was? Yeah. I mean, that's, that could be one way of looking at it. I agree with you that the overall performance was good. There was a very high energy, high intensity early on. And I thought this is perfect. Pilsen will be overrun and they've got the technical players, you know, Sigurdsson yeah. on the ball is a good option. Vlasic is just on fire, of course. Um, in general, you know, these are guys who are comfortable on the ball. So when they're breaking forwards, it's not like they're just simply run quickly forwards. They're intelligent. They know how to move. They, they're getting used to each other very, very quickly. Experience. I, I, I don't know. The, the finishing was off. Um, Chaloff didn't have quite his best game. And perhaps this ties in a little bit with what we alluded to with Artem Jew, but perhaps Chaloff needs a break. He is dependent. Siska uh, are dependent on him as their domain forward, realistically. So perhaps he needs a break too. Uh, he came off after about an hour, I think it was. Yeah. Pilsen, to their credit, I thought actually were a lot more organised than they were in in uh, Czech Republic in uh, game we won. Um, they they were they were better in the first half of that game, and then Siska just overran them in the second half. Um, 
but they looked more in control. They were relatively calm in possession. It was dis- it was such a disappointing night, though, Manu, wasn't it? Because mm. you know it was they were two fantastic performances in the group stage to beat Real Madrid and well have the win robbed of them against Roma. In my opinion, a couple of I mean I'm not blaming the referees. It was a very difficult decision for Roma's second goal. But the point is, they played out of their skin, just the best their potential could have could have offered them. And against Pilsen, it was harder. The conditions were cold. But the finishing, the final third, I think, I don't blame Chalif at all. I think he's just fantastically talented, but perhaps he just needs a rest too. Then the lack of options is Abel Hernandez's injury. I can imagine Yevgeny Gina is just furious inside at that because he's made a really good move brought in a, a player free um, and he would have been that option. He would have been playing this game with energy and possibly, possibly could have could have helped give them that little extra energy and edge that they needed. Now, realistically, I think that's them out of out of Europe altogether. Yeah. Um, Pilsen with the superior head-to-head and the two of them realistically going to lose the last two games, um, Tisca away in the Bernabeu, um, I'd say that's that's game over. So you've gone from beating European champions, having one of the best Champions League performances in the group stage for years, uh, to, to then being out of Europe altogether. I think it's a real shame. Um, but silver lining, you mentioned the title race. Perhaps, perhaps it might just give them that little edge, an extra rest in the spring season. So might not all be lost. Yeah, that's, that's maybe one positive um, for CSKA. Yeah, I think... Look, if they had won that game against Pilsen, they would have been on seven points, two points behind Roma and, um, playing, um, already qualified Real Madrid side in, in Spain. You know, just, just to, just to underline what CSKA, uh, possibly lost there. Um, final topic. Need to get into this. Schachter Donetsk. Uh, this is, this was an excellent performance by them. Um, they beat Hoffenheim 3-2, um, in Hoffenheim. Um, they were up 2-0. Hoffenheim came back 2-2, 3-2. Um, this would have been the game to cover um, if we hadn't had covered Bayern. But that's a different story. Anyways, um, unfortunately, so for, for, for Schachter Donetsk, this is, this is a fantastic, fantastic situation now because they are going to host Olympic Marseille in their final game to basically have a chance to advance to the round of 16 of the UEFA Champions League for the second year in a row. Um, in a group that was very, very difficult with Man City, Lyon, Schachter Donetsk, Hoffenheim, maybe one of the more difficult groups in the Champions League. And um, as fantastic as that is, unfortunately, la- late last night, we learned that Arsenal um, got UEFA to move their home game because of uh, martial law that was imposed by... Ukraine's president, um, Peter Poroshenko, onto the country following an incident at the Strait of Kerch, um, where the, where the Russian government built a bridge to connect with the Crimea. The Crimea, of course, was annexed by Russia, uh, in the spring of uh, 2014, um, and has been a place of contention ever since. Now, the, the martial law that's been imposed by the Ukrainian government affects 10 regions. Um, the, Region of Poltava, where Arsenal were going to play Vorskla, is not one of the regions affected, but Arsenal was able to argue that they were going to fly into Kharkiv and then take a bus from Kharkiv to Poltava. And because they were going to fly into Kharkiv, and Kharkiv is one of the 10 regions bordering a Russian territory, they, the area was under martial law and therefore they could not fly into Kharkiv and feel safe. Um, as a result, they got they got to move that home game, uh, Poltava's home game, to Kiev, um, which is of course a huge um, detriment to Vorskla Poltava because Arsenal is a big side. They're coming to all the way to Vorskla. This is probably the biggest game that Vorskla Poltava would have ever hosted at home, and um, that was taken away from them. Even though Poltava, in general, is a safe area. Um, this will, of course, also affect Shachter Donetsk because Shachter Donetsk, uh, playing in Kharkiv. Kharkiv is one of the regions UEFA has already said, well, it's not even safe to fly in there. There's going to be no way they're actually going to allow any team 
to play there um, under after the precedent that they just said. The the reason why this is all kind of weird, murky, and concerning is because the martial laws that were actually put in effect by uh, President Peter Poroshenko don't change the actual laws. It was watered down so much in Parliament that the actual ruling and government decisions haven't really changed anything that's going on in Ukraine at the moment because it's, yes, the country's at war. It's a war with in the Donbass. Um, and those that's been things that have been going on for quite some time. Yet games in the Ukrainian Premier League have been taking place and games, um, UEFA games have been taking place and the, the, the martial law bill is nothing but an empty house at the moment. Um, Tim, this is this is another great example of where politics just really mess up the football experience, isn't it? Yeah, obviously, yeah, that's, you know, that's all those stories doesn't really make a nice picture. I got even a little bit lost when you, when, when you described the Arsenal's, uh, travel, traveling, like to go there, take the bus there. Like, it doesn't sound really uh, very pretty. So, um, yeah, like, I'm not, like, like I've said many times, I'm not a big fan of talking about politics because I, I never have, we never have the full picture and we don't know what actually is happening. So you, it's very hard to have some kind of uh, opinion on that topic, but, but yeah, this is just literally, uh, with all those stories, it just really, it sounds so complicated and I just want everyone to be at peace and play, uh, play football. Uh, we, 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 yeah, we even lucky that, uh, the Russia didn't meet Ukraine and the Nations League, uh, at least that, that, that kind of, it's not, not an issue. Yeah. I, I, I think it's such a complicated one, right? Because oh, well, obviously the Russian government is funding um, organizations in the Donbass to fight against Ukraine. Obviously, there is, um, both sides have different opinions on the, the Strait of Kerch. Uh, I, I have Ukrainian friends that argued very strongly the one way. I have Russian friends that argued very strongly the other way. You can't be right, but it, I mean, in this sense, when you, when you look at the war billing that Petro Poroshenko put in, it hasn't really changed. Um, it hasn't really changed the way Ukraine is government, governed at the moment. Yet Arsenal London went in and said like, oh, well, we're going to make use of this. We're going to fly straight to Kiev. We're going to play this team that we don't give, give anything about. Um, this other team, the small team from Eastern Europe for, for women was, this was the biggest game in the history, right? And we're going to take away their home fixture because that's the way I see it. I see a big team basically making use of a bad political decision to screw up a smaller team. That's at least how I saw it. I, I don't know. Maybe Andrew, maybe yeah. I, I'm being I'm being harsh here, but that's the way I saw it. Well, I I think you're undoubtedly correct. I think any side that goes to Eastern Europe from England, I'd say from an English fan's perspective, it always used to be the complete unknown. It's such a long way away. It's just a it's a nightmare. You want to get in, get out, get the job done, um, and moving it to. Uh, moving it to Kiev, I think is yes. I think it was a move simply to they they took advantage of the situation. I mean, I'm what I would say though is uh, when you don't know the full facts of a situation, which you explained fully, then if you don't have full grasp of that situation, there is going to be a worry, a fear, perhaps more for the fans as much as anything else. Um, I it I don't know. I mean, it shouldn't take that much work for the club to get a full lowdown from from somebody who can who can outline the the situation the travel situation and then relay that to the fans and say look this is what you need to be aware of go to these airports yes go to these areas no uh, that sort of thing shouldn't be that difficult to sort out and the other thing you've got to remember is um if you look at their group Arsenal are already qualified for the next stage anyway um this game is really not the most important one for them yeah. um if they sent a lot of their younger players and rotated completely, I don't think anybody would be that surprised or would realistically complain. Um, so does it really matter that much for them? They know it's going to be a big game for Vorskla. Um, and as long as their safety is guaranteed, and as far as I understand, it would be as far as, well, as, far as UEFA's concern would be. Um, I, it, it just seems a little unnecessary as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think it seems a little unfair. Um, it, it seems harsh for Forskla. Um, of course, Arsenal are using a political situation and it, it's, it, when you read a little bit into the, the martial law that was imposed, of course, Poroshenko tried to insert much harsher uh, political measures that were 
more or less dissected in Ukrainian parliament. But I guess we would need an entire pot to just break down um, what's going on. There will probably be an article later at some point um, explaining the impact on football in, in Ukraine um, due to the martial law. But yeah, um, I think we're pretty much out of time, boys. So we'll, we'll leave it at this. Um, Tim, floor is yours. Um, what have you been up to? Uh, wonderful. Yeah, I'm planning a big Christmas show uh, in Russia. I'm finishing a recording of the album with my band uh, called Pavel Bures. And yes, yeah, so I'm very, very busy with the music stuff, but uh, people can follow me on uh, Twitter at RussianTim61 and on Instagram, Rocket from Russia. Fantastic stuff. Do exactly that. Andrew, how about you? Well, actually, it's a very exciting time, end of year for me. My My main job at the moment is going to be helping to produce two tactical analysis magazines that uh, we've produced. If you head to totalfootballanalysis.com, um, you'll find a link. It's, it'll be the first article on the page. Genuinely, it's a very exciting thing. It's the first magazine dedicated entirely to analysis of matches and players. Um, and I will be editing that magazine. So bringing out an end-of-year review and a monthly analysis magazine, issue one's out already. So if analysis and taxes is your head to totalfootballanalysis.com and you'll see some of my editorial work. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, do exactly that. Um, as always, I've been your host, Manuel Weff. You can find me at Manuel Weff and you can find most of my work um, at Football Grad Live. That's also where you will find this part, all our other parts, all our articles, previews on the Champions League, Europa League, uh, football and politics, etc., etc., etc. All can be found at Football Grad Live. Well, guys, thank you so much. Speak to you all next week. Das wird dann jetzt. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.